are in a series called Begin Again, and this time better. That's what we're hoping. And we face different moments in our life where we do have to begin again. Sometimes we're ending a bad relationship or something goes wrong and we have to begin again. Sometimes it can happen in a marriage. It can happen at our job or in a career. We can even find ourselves beginning again with college or we can find ourselves beginning again even financially. But we want to begin again, this time better if we are going to have to begin again. And so we do learn from mistakes. We talked about that in week number one. We learn from mistakes. You find that with your children and their video games. They learn what doesn't work and they correct it and they begin again and they do it better that time, the next time. Uh, you have probably found that true in your business, at your work, or you maybe have found it true with hunting or fishing. You have found out what didn't work and you began again and and didn't scare off the game this time you did it differently we have this tendency to learn from our past mistakes but usually we learn from our past mistakes in things that really don't matter that much really but when it comes to the big things in life that we have to begin again usually we repeat those mistakes strangely we repeat those mistakes over and over and over again. We learn from our mistakes in the little things, but in the big things, we have a tendency, like in a relationship, if it ends and you start another one, we have a tendency to repeat some of the very same mistakes over and over and over again. Maybe in your dating life, you have found yourself dating loser after loser after loser. Or maybe you are the loser, like me. I don't know. We find ourselves having to begin again, and we repeat mistakes so often. We do it with our money. We can do it with our job. We can also repeat mistakes. Even in raising our children, we can do that. Now, partly, some of these repetitive mistakes for many of us, myself included, are because we find ourselves at times believing some things that just really aren't true but we kind of hang on to them and we believe them. Um, here's one of those sayings that we have a tendency to believe. It's experience makes me wiser. Experience makes me wiser. Well, the, the truth is that's not true at all. Experience doesn't make me wider, wiser. It will. Experience will make me more angry. <laughs> It'll make me frustrated. Uh, it'll make me older, but it does not make me wiser. The true statement to that is this, evaluated experience, that will make us wiser. Uh, here's another thing we kind of hang on to that we believe. We say, okay, this time around, I, I know better now, so I'll do better. I know better, so I'll, I'll do better. This time, I'll do better. And the truth is, if we look at even our children, our children, our preschoolers, our teenagers, our grade school kids, I mean, they, they know better, right? They know what to do, but that doesn't mean they're going to do it, right? We, we know that. We see it all the time. We see it every day. And that same thing applies to us. Just because we know better does not mean we're going to do better. So that happens to be an untrue statement we kind of hang on to. Here's another one. We say, I don't have time to waste. Time's a ticking. Time's a ticking. I got to get right back in the game. I got to begin again right now because time is my enemy. But the reality is time is actually our friend. There are some things that need to happen in our lives, especially as we evaluate things, and it's going to take time to do that. So time 
is actually our friend. Now, last week, we said this. In, in this whole thing, uh, when something does go wrong and we have to begin again, it's almost as if you could draw a circle. We're going to have one on the screen in a moment. We could draw a circle, and you could say, okay, there is the whole problem right there in that circle, and I have a part of that problem, some of that, is mine. Maybe not all of it, but some of it is my responsibility. And here's what we said last week, that we have to name it and claim it. We have to name it and say, that part, it is my responsibility. That part, it is my fault. It's my, I am responsible. So name it and claim it. We said, we have, if we're going to move forward and begin again, better this time, we've got to name what the problem was, identify it, and then we have to claim our part of the responsibility. Now, the problem with that is we would rather say this, but it's not my fault. I mean, really, it's mostly them. It's not my fault. It's not me. It's their fault. It's them. Because when we blame other people, really, it takes the pressure off of us. We can kind of put the spotlight on them. The sad thing is when we blame someone else, it allows us to smuggle the very same problems from our past into our future. When we blame other people, we are smuggling the problems from our past and bringing them right into our future. So we need to draw that circle and we need to say, here is, the, here is part of the problem and this part of the problem, that is my responsibility. We have to name it and we have to claim it. This is stuff we, Andy Stanley is just an amazing teacher. And listen to what he said. We have learned from him in this series. He said this, to make peace with your past, you have to claim your peace of the past. Listen to that again. To make peace with the past, you have to claim your peace of the past. When we experience a, a bad breakup or a job loss or a situation where we have to begin again, a lot of times we will look at that experience and, and we'll look kind of back at it. And when we look at it with a different perspective, we, we sometimes come to the conclusion, we ask this question, what was I thinking? I mean, why did I do that? Why did I say yes? Why did I go along? Why did I accept? Why did I ask? Why did I do that? What, what was I thinking? We might even hit ourselves in the head and say, I have no idea what I was thinking. I mean, my mother, she tried to warn me. She tried to tell me it's not a good situation. It doesn't look like it's going to a good place. Doesn't look like this is the one. She tried, tried to warn me, but I did it anyway. I didn't listen. What was I thinking? All of my friends, maybe you say, all of my friends told me. They were like, I don't think this is good. This doesn't look like a good move. I don't think this is going to be smart, but I did it anyway. What was I thinking? You might even say, I saw the warning signs. I mean, I saw them myself, and I just chose to ignore them and push them back. What was I thinking? You might say, why did I spend so much money at Christmas and rack up all of that debt? What, what was I thinking? Here's the thing. We ask that question. What was I thinking? And then we turn around and we just move on. 
We move on to another relationship, another marriage, another job, another opportunity, another, another credit card. We just ask the question, and then we move on. We say, what was I thinking? And then we move on and do it again. But if we're going to begin again, this time better, yes, we have to ask that question, what was I thinking but we have to answer that question. We have to pause, we have to stop, and we have to answer that question. Because if we don't, I have the strange feeling that we're probably going to repeat the same mistake over and over and over again. We need to answer the question, what was I thinking? I mean, where was my mind in this? Where were my thoughts? What was going on? If we think the way we have always thought, then we're going to do what we'll get always done. And if we continue to do what we've always done, we will get what we have always gotten. Over and over and over again. Probably the most famous Christ follower ever to have lived, the Apostle Paul he reached a moment in his life where he had to begin again. And in fact, his history was quite embarrassing. I'm sure he re would rather have left it all behind, but he couldn't. It was his history. The Apostle Paul had to begin again. You see, the Apostle Paul, he made his entire life stomping out Christianity one Christ follower at a time, he would hunt them down, he would either have them arrested or have them beaten, and sometimes he would even have them stoned to death. That's what he did, and he was really good at it until that moment that he became a Christ follower himself. And from that moment, Paul had to begin again. Paul became one of the very types of people that he was hunting down and persecuting and killing. Paul became a Christ follower. And Paul had to begin again. And as part of that process, he had to name it and claim it. He had to say, this, this was mine. This part of the past, that was mine. I am responsible for that. And then, then he had to do this very difficult thing he had to change his mind now this is simply what we're going to ask you to do today we're going to ask you would you be willing to enter a journey of changing your mind i'm going to let paul explain this to you paul lived this story and he understood this he knew what it was like to begin again this time better and he knew it involved changing your mind. So, let's listen to Paul. We're going to find it in the letter he wrote to the Romans. Chapter 12, verse 1. Here's how he begins. He says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. In other words, he knows this is so important. He's like, please, please, please listen and do this. I plead with you to give your bodies, not just your mental agreement. He said, 
your actual bodies, your, your bodies. Give your bodies to God. And he says, why? Because of all he has done for you. And boy, did Paul understand this, because he understood Paul killed people who followed Jesus, and he understood what Jesus had done and how Jesus took him and changed him. Paul understood this. He said, because of all that he has done. And then he says, let them, talking about your bodies, let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he, being God, will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. This is a big statement. Here's what Paul is saying. You see, he was speaking to people who understood what sacrifice was, real sacrifice. We think of sacrifice and like, oh yeah, that was a sacrifice for me to do that. That's not what Paul was talking about. They understood real sacrifice. I mean, animal, bloody sacrifice. That's what they heard when they heard Paul say that. And Paul is telling them, listen, the animal sacrifice thing's not going to do it anymore. He's saying, I, God is wanting you to be a living, you to be a living sacrifice. He's saying to give your whole body, your mind and your soul, uh, your body and your spirit, give your whole self to God as a sacrifice. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, I don't want you to, to be a dead sacrifice. I want you, God wants you to be a living sacrifice. It is moment by moment sacrifice, day by day sacrifice. It's as if Paul is saying, I want you to place your body on the altar and say, God, here is my whole self. It is yours. I give it to you. Now, Rick Warren, he says, the thing about a living sacrifice that's been placed on the altar for God, the problem with a living sacrifice is it keeps crawling down off the altar. I mean, we have an experience on a Sunday morning and we say, God, you can have my whole life. I am yours. I'm up on the altar. This is your life. It is yours. It is yours. I give it to you. I'm a living sacrifice. And Monday rolls around and then Tuesday and soon we're like, God, wow, I got a lot to do this week. And there's a few things I want to do this week. So God, I, I'm, I'm going to have to say I'm going to get back with you. I'll get back with you Sunday, maybe this weekend. But for right now, God, there's a few things I want to do, I need to do. And really, it's going to be better if I do these without you, perhaps. So I tell you what, why don't you wait over there? Uh, I'll catch you outside. How about that? Okay. Paul is saying, if you're going to be a living sacrifice, moment by moment, we're going to have to learn to change our mind, to change our thoughts, the way we think. And if we don't, we will keep crawling back down off the altar. And so Paul is going to make the same mistake. I, I want to help you. Because if you keep crawling down off the altar, you're going to make the same mistakes over and over and over and over again. You're, because if we keep thinking the way we have always thought, we're going to keep doing what we have always done. And so Paul now tells us how, how to begin this process of becoming a living sacrifice. Verse 2, he says, don't copy the behavior and customs of the world. Don't copy them. He says, don't, don't blend in. Don't, don't um, 
don't become like everybody else around you. How much effort does it take to become like everything around you? He uses the word conform. How much effort does it take to conform? Look at this picture coming up. Now, you just have to be there, right? You just have to be there. I, I never under will. I never will understand cats. Why do they like to squish themselves in bowls? I, I do know why. Because cats are weird. A dog would never do that. But that's another point on another day. But Paul is saying, don't conform. To conform to the things around you, all you have to do is show up and do nothing. If you show up and do nothing, Paul is saying, you will conform to that which is around you. And here he's saying specifically, the culture around you. He says, don't conform. Don't just sit there. But then he goes on. He says, don't conform to the world, this culture around you, but let God transform you. He's saying God can make a change. And the next picture gives us this idea that it's not just showing up, but it's actually being involved. There's something we need to participate in. It's more than just showing up. If we just show up, we're conforming. But if we are participating, there can be a transformation that takes place. He says, but let God transform you into a new person. And here's, how, here's the secret. He says, by changing the way you think. By changing your mind. And he goes on. He says, then... If you allow God to change the way you think, if you allow God to change your mind, then you will learn to know what God's will for you is. You'll, you'll learn that. If you allow God to change your thinking, you will then learn what it is. And don't we want to know, hey, God, what do you want me to do? What, where do you want me to go? What, what do you want in this situation? He says, you'll know if you let God change your thinking. Should I date? Should I marry? Should I You'll know if you let God change your thinking. Then you'll know God's will for you, which is, and he describes God's will for you, which is good, he said, and pleasing, but God's will, God, I am imperfect. But God's will, God's plan for me, he says, is perfect. Interesting. So if I want to begin again, but better this time, I need to name it and claim it. Say, that's my part. It's mine. I am responsible for that. Not everything. I'm not responsible for all of it, but I'm responsible for that. And then I need to allow God to change my mind, to change the way I think. To, because if I think the way I have always thought, then I will do what I have always done. That is one reason why we encourage you and ask, ask you really to show up week after week after week after week because it is one of the ways that God begins to change our thinking as we open up his word and hear things from a perspective that maybe we haven't understood before. God is in the process of changing our thinking. That's another reason why we put the series that we teach, why we put it on SoundCloud so that you can actually go back to it and you could hear that again as God begins to change the way we think. He begins to change our mind. 
That's also a reason why we ask you and encourage you, and really, as Paul would say, plead with you to get in a small group and stay in a small group, because that is also one of the ways that God changes our mind. And it's also why we encourage you to read God's Word and to pray which is simply having a conversation with God. And so often it's about what we've read in His Word. But that's why we encourage you to do that, because that's another way how God changes your mind and changes my mind. And here's, the, here's, here's some information. We have an entire series. Today we're talking about this for just a few minutes. But we have an entire series that talks about how God can and will change your thinking change your mind and how you can participate in that in fact at the end of today we're going to encourage you to go to that series and listen to that series because if we think the way we have always thought then we will do things the way we have always done them as we wrap this up this morning i I want to give you some examples of some deadly thinking It's not going to be on the screen just yet, so hang tight back there with me, guys. Let me kind of set, go ahead and move, go backwards on that. I want to hang tight here. I don't want you focusing with me on this. Here, I want you to understand some of these things, some of these things will not be an issue for you at all. In fact, for some of you, none of these things will be an issue. Thinking or presenting to you a handful of Uh, some poisonous thinking or deadly thinking that we could have a tendency to hang on to. We're going to present several of these thoughts that, and, and none of them may apply to you. For some of us, they may be all of them. They may hit home. And for some of us, maybe just one or two, but regardless, just please understand this is just a sample. There, there are tons of these Deadly thoughts that we hang on to. Tons of them. This is just a small sample. And we're presenting these. Not to offend you. Not to hurt you. Because these, many of these can apply to me as well. We're presenting these just to help you understand this morning. We need God to help us change our thinking. Because if we change our thinking, we can change our future. But God has to change the thinking. So we're saying here, this is why it's so important. And some of these things that you come up on the screen, you're going to be like, yeah, that's right. I mean, I completely agree with that, Harley. But if you're like me, I completely agree with that when I see it in someone else's life. But when it's in my life, it's like, I have, that's not me. I have no idea. That's not me. So hang in here. Don't get up and run off. We're going to go through these quickly, so it shouldn't hurt too long. We're just going to rip some Band-Aids off real quick. Are you ready? Here we go. Here's one of the things that we say to ourselves. Harley, my problem, it's not that bad. I I mean, yeah, for sure. I've got a problem. There's a situation there. There is something going on. There's a problem. But Harley, it's not that bad. Really, it's not that bad. And... It really is that bad, right? I mean, we can't say that because we just said it's not that bad. But if you were to ask all the people around you, they would tell you, no, it really is that bad. 
you need to address this. It really is that bad. And as long as we stay in denial and hang on to that, we don't have to address it. We don't have to fix it, right? We don't have to do anything about it. As long as we say, it's under control. I mean, yeah, it's a problem, but I've got it under control. It's not that bad. We don't have to do anything. As soon as we admit that it is a problem, it is bad, then we have to do something. So the longer we push it off, so that's deadly. That's deadly thinking. We're trying to minimize it so we don't have to do anything about it. We're only fooling ourselves, by the way. Okay, here's another. This is deadly thinking when we say this. If I say the right thing, I can change them. I mean, if I, if I could do the right thing, I mean, if just give me long enough, I can help them change. I can say the right thing, I can encourage them, I can help them change. Well, here's, here's some encouragement for you. If you can't put up with more, put up with what they're doing. And if you can't put up with more and more and more of it for the rest of your life, then don't go there because you can't change them no matter what you say and no matter what you do. And if you move into your future with the thought, I can, then you are undermining your future because you can't. It's deadly thinking. Here's another one. If I could just find the right person for me, everything will be okay. If I can just find the right person, it'll be okay. It's not going to be okay because it doesn't work that way. That person does not have the power to make you or me okay. That's something that can only happen between you and your creator, God. In fact, the right person for you, they're looking for the right person, but that's not you yet. So if you become the right person, then the right person might find you. But it's in becoming the right person that you become okay. That other person cannot make you okay. That's deadly thinking. Poisonous thinking. Okay, let's rip some more band-aids. We're moving on. We don't have much more to go. Not much more pain. The next one. They owe it to me. Or, or we might say, I, I deserve that. What we're saying is that, you know, I'm, I'm entitled to that. I mean, that, for some reason, they owe that to me. They owe me. I deserve that. When we walk around life thinking that someone owes us something, if they don't give it to us, what happens? We will take it. If we think that we deserve that and they are not giving it, we will take it. And if we don't take it, then we just simply walk around life thinking they should have given that to me. And we walk around miserable thinking I am entitled to that, but they didn't give it to me and it ruins our life. And guess what? It's really ruining our, our world, if you want to know the truth. Because we are not entitled 
to that. We do not really deserve that. They don't owe it to us. I think one of the bottom root issues in we can get to the point where we have talked ourselves into believing that God wants me to be happy. And if God wants me to be happy, now I'm not saying He doesn't want you to be happy. I'm just saying there's no proof of that, that He wants you to be happy. We can't find that really in the Scripture that He wants you to be happy. We really don't see that. We see a lot of this, that God wants you to be holy. But we don't see a lot of God wants you to be happy. That's something we have made up for the most part. Now, He may want you to be happy. We, we just can't prove it. Which means it really is a bad philosophy of life to think that God wants me to be happy because I have a tendency to think He just wants you to be holy. But when we think God wants us to be happy and we live our life as if God wants me to be happy, then anyone who denies me my happiness, then something's wrong because God wants me to be happy. So they owe that to me. I deserve that. I'm entitled to that. And that is poisonous thinking for our future. Here's another one. If I can make the payment for that, then that means I probably should go ahead and get it. I mean, if I can afford the payment, then I should go ahead and buy it. The problem, or a problem of many, I guess, of this is we can stretch ourselves so thin that then we don't have money to cover the things that we do need when we bought the things we didn't really have to have. There's a couple of ways to go, and I'm all for purchasing things. This is a, we live in a capitalist society, and, and I, it's, it's, it's good. It keeps our economy moving and good. So it's not that I'm against buying things, but the thing is, if we go and buy things, there's a couple of ways to do it. We can make payments for it and have it right now, or we can, we can just live for a while with wanting it, and we could save up and go buy it. It can be very poisonous to our future if everything we do, we put on the payments. Because then when something happens and goes wrong, just because we can afford the payment does not mean we can afford to fix the car when it breaks. And then how do we get to work, right? And then if we can't get to work, how do we make the payment, right? It's, it's poison. It can be dangerous. Here's another one. Guilty of this one. So we're all guilty. Maybe most of us are guilty of this one, myself included. I've said this too. This phrase, here it is. Everything happens for a reason. There's a lot of truth to that. There is, there's, there's truth there. Everything happens for a reason. The problem is, so many times, not always, but so many times the reason is we were just really stupid. And that's why it happened. We did something really dumb. Everything does happen for a reason, and sometimes it's because we made a really bad decision. And that's why it happens. But here's what happens when we use that phrase. Yeah, it happened. Whatever it is, fill in the blank. Everything happens for a reason. 
And you know what that phrase allows us to do? It allows us to just move on. Move on into, yep, everything happens for a reason. And we move on into the future. And guess what happens? We do it again. What that phrase does, it pushes us away from the very thing that could help us. We have to ask the question, what was I thinking? Yeah, it happens for a reason. Now let's find out exactly what is the reason that that happened. And what is my part in it? I have to name it and claim it. And then I have to say, God, now I need you to help change my thinking because in that moment, I thought it was a good idea to say yes. I thought it was a good idea to ask. I thought it was a good idea to hook up. I I thought it was a good idea. My thinking said it was good. We have to stop because if we just simply say, yeah, everything happens for a reason and then we move on. We never stop and ask the question, well, what was the reason? You see, experience does not make us wiser, but evaluated experience is what makes us wiser. Here's another phrase. You've heard this one. The grass is so much greener over there, happening at home. But you hear it more like this. I am so sick of what's happening at home. And so you go share it with a coworker because that grass is greener. And you share it with her or you share it with him and y'all begin talking about things you have no business talking about with each other. And you discover the grass is greener over here. That's what you feel. The grass is greener. You believe the grass is greener over here. But here's the truth. The grass is greener where you take care of it. If we continue to leave this to go there, we will forever be poisoning our future. Here's another one. More of that, whatever that is, More of that will make me happy. More of that. Or sometimes we say it like this. If I only had that, oh, if I just could, if I could get that, I would be happy. You see, God has given us appetites. But the thing thing about appetites, it's difficult to keep them in check because appetites are never satisfied. I mean, we could go for lunch And we could eat a table full of food till we are sick. (laughs) Let's face it, because that's what we do. But guess what's going to happen tonight about 5 or 6 o'clock? We're going to eat again because we're going to be hungry. Appetites are never fully satisfied. And if we are placing our happiness in that, whatever that is, if we say, if I have more of that, If I just had more of that, I mean, it would be easier. My life would be more simple if I just had more. Or if we're saying, if I just had that, that, that's going to do it. I'm going to be happy then. 
The reality is this. No, no, we're not. It's an appetite. And if we place our happiness in an appetite, something we want, we will never, ever, ever be happy. Because it's never fully satisfied. It is poisonous. It's, it's deadly thinking. And I say all of that just simply to say this. If we continue to think the way we have always thought, then we will do what we've always done. We're just going to repeat the past over and over again in the areas that matter the most. We're going to repeat those mistakes over and over and over and over again. And Paul... He had to begin again. So he understands, and he did it better. He understands, and he can guide us through this process. So I'm asking you this. Here's our one thing we're asking for today. Lives in our future. Will you join me in allowing God to transform our lives and our future by changing our minds, by changing the way we think? And in order to... To encourage you in that process, here's the one thing we're asking you to do. Will you simply go back to SoundCloud, look up my name, Harley Petty. That's where we keep all of the, all of the uh, series. And look up the series, semicolon. The series, semicolon. Because it is that series where through the whole series, we taught how to allow God to transform our thinking. Will you just simply go listen to that this week to give you a jump start in how to let this happen? So remember this, don't be this, don't be the cat in a bowl, be this, be that little bitty cat right there, lifting up a car, be transformed. Let's pray. God, we need your help. In order for us to change, to have our lives transformed, we need your help by you changing our minds, changing the way we think. God, may we not simply copy, may we not simply stand by and be conformed to the behaviors and the customs of this world, to be pressed into their mold, but God, may you transform our lives, may you change our lives, by changing the way we think. And it is in the name of Jesus who died on the cross. And if we submit our lives to you, we can be eternally connected to you, God. It is in that name of Jesus who made it possible for your spirit to move into our lives and to make those changes from the inside out. It is in his name we pray. Amen.